Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Today I want to turn to Psalm 2 and I want to speak to superpowers. So do turn to Psalm 2. I'm going to make a few comments before we read the psalm, but do keep that open before you. Uh, I'm going to pray and and then uh, just say uh, a few things. Lord, as we come again this morning, a time of worship, we have sought to do that in song and prayer and giving. Now as we turn to your word, that your voice would be the one that we hear, enabling us to leave here this morning, Lord, with hearts inclined to worship you, and Lord, with a confidence that we can face the future. And so this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what's going on in the world at the moment? Superficial look around the world, we can certainly report that Russia is at war with Ukraine, Uh, Israel at war with the Palestinians, or particularly with Hamas. Uh, Further east, we have China, North Korea, uh, flexing their muscles. We have North America and Europe with what I would call a post or anti-Christian era or attitude, dominating thoughts and worldview and mindset. And so much more, I believe, around the world that seems like nothing less than chaos, lunacy. And so, again, does all what is going on in the world not tempt you, tempt me to conclude that we are living in a world seemingly gone mad? And I discovered this week in my preparation that I'm not alone in reaching that conclusion. Uh, Previous generation, well-known Uh, evangelical preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I want to quote him, he he asked a similar question. He he asked his congregation, are you astonished at the state of the world? Then he comments, this is a state of organized insanity and confusion. So in this state of organized insanity and confusion, very important question. Are we as people, as individual men and women and children, are we just subject to the mercy of the superpowers? Are we at their disposal? All their crazy, self-centered schemes? Or is there something more we ought to know? For myself, one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn in this life is that things are not always what they seem. Sometimes we, and I believe as we turn to this particular passage this morning, the superpowers, superpowers of our day need to learn something from Psalm 2. It's a wonderful psalm, and I want to commend it to you. I want to urge you to memorize it. I want to urge you to read it regularly, especially when you become discouraged, when you look around the world in the political unfolding of what seems to be happening but two questions just before i read the psalm that i do want to answer uh, two keys to understanding this particular psalm and so the first question is how do we approach 
this psalm? How do we interpret it? How do we understand it? Well, we need to see that the particular emphasis and, and, and uh, uh, theme of this particular psalm, it, it's a song celebrating the crowning of a king. There's no doubt about that. So have that mindset, the coronation of a king. But when you look a little bit closer, you see, but hang on, there's, there's so much more in the psalm that it can't just be referring to King Saul or King David or King Solomon. And, and, and pointing beyond, and, and we'll see that the New Testament refers back to this particular psalm. This psalm is referring to the great king, Jesus. The greatest and supreme king, Jesus Christ. So keep that answer to that question in your mind. The second question is, well, how is the psalm organized? How is it broken up? How do we analyze it? Well, it's not very difficult. You can see and you will see that the psalm is set like a play, like a drama. It's a drama made up of four different scenes. Uh, David, the psalmist, and, and he's the narrator. He's telling us a story. Then there's the kings and the rulers of the earth, the superpowers who have a stance and a particular opinion. They have their say. And then we'll notice that uh, the Lord Jehovah and the Son are speaking from heaven. So having said that now, let's have a look at the psalm. Let me read it and then we're going to try and uh, elaborate on it. So reading from verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Well, we do need to try and understand how this psalm fits into our own context and the relevance of it. And I thought I'd start by just affirming and telling you what you probably know, that South Africa in its current constitutional dispensation is governed by what people would call a liberal democracy. That's the, the state of our government. That's, that's the nature of how we are governed. It is a government, we are told, by the people, for the people. We know, too, that in the practice and unfolding of everyday reality, the rights, the rights of every person is protected. But God has been eliminated. Well, that brings me to my first point, because it tells us it's the world as you see it. It's the world that we experience, that superficially we observe. And even looking in our own country, if we look across the world, here and there, there are pockets of allegiance to God and the Bible. But generally speaking, 
Sadly, even among famous clerics and traditional denominations, the holy God revealed in the Bible has been rejected. At a more defined level, I don't know how you experience it, but when it comes to speaking of Jesus, I find this even in personal conversations with outsiders, there's a distinct awkwardness and almost the kind of an exclusion that becomes evident. We're coming to that time of the year where we know nativity scenes are tolerated. But tolerated is mere fantasy and myth. But any explanation regarding the life and death and resurrection, ascension and rule of Jesus are snubbed. It's ridiculous. belongs to a bygone era. There are hordes of presidents and kings and queens and clerics and theological academics and ordinary citizens. Now listen to this. They believe that they decide if God exists. They decide who God is, what God can or cannot do. And so as we turn to Psalm 2 in the first scene of this drama, we are given this picture of the world as you see it, as David saw it. It doesn't make sense to David. He's a man of God. He understands his relationship with God, the revelation of God. And so he asks the question in the first verse, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The why there... uh, is a tone, or it comes in a tone of astonishment. He can't believe it. The senselessness of the rejection of God's rule, of his existence. And so it's not the why of intellectual uh, interest or, or investigation. It's the why of disbelief, of astonishment. And David sees the world as in outright rebellion against God, there appears to be to him a united and universal growing rebellion against God. The world takes a position. Again, this is something we can see evident in our own day. The world has made up its mind. There's a premeditated scheme that he speaks of. Let's rid the earth of God. Let's get rid of him. Let's make fun of Christian beliefs and values and people. It has been the pattern down through the ages, the history that we are aware of. And so David watches in astonishment as the scene unfolds to the second verse. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying and Continuing with that. You see that? The world does have a fixed position, generally speaking. It's a common thinking. The world is of one mind. There are different political systems. There are different ideologies, different perspectives, different economic models, and different social structures. But there's one thing that we need to see that is a common thread across the world and the nations of the world. Get rid of God. Get rid of his anointed. And so the leading voices of the nations, uh, uh, they've consulted. This is what the psalmist is is giving us a picture of. They agree, a conspiracy against God, against the people of God, against his cause. And so in the third verse expresses that. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords 
from us. The ways of God, in their opinion, is restrictive. They're unnecessary. We know better. We're more progressive. We're more informed. We're more enlightened. And so the superpowers. And give some examples. Joe Biden in the United States. Xi Jinping from China and Kim Jong-un from North Korea. Just some examples. They're opposed to the binding standards, the laws, the revelation, the creeds of God. They don't want God to rule over them. In our own country. I want to quote, I know it's a radical politician, but nevertheless we have a political leader that unashamedly blasphemes. And I quote, he says in one of his speeches, You don't wait for Jesus to come because you are Jesus. And I will give blacks free land, and unlike Jesus, I don't need a silly cross to save my people. Now, folk, that is an attitude. It's a, I know it's an extreme attitude, but it's an attitude that permeates our society. We don't want God, we don't need God, and don't even speak to me about Jesus. The superpowers are actively seeking to undermine, if you don't believe it, the structure of your family. Family no longer takes priority, even in our own context. There is a belittling and undermining of the leadership of a man in the home and being the husband. There's a redefining of marriage. There's the promoting of the lunacy of differentiating between gender and sex. Intelligent people, what is a woman? And they can't tell us what is a woman. Hiding behind woman's health to kill the unborn. So people and nations, they're so different. Many issues. But there's a common thread. Opposition to God, opposition to the anointed son, all their laws and standards. Go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have just come under some serious pressure. And they had been proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been lifting him up as the savior of the world. And so the rulers and the elders and the teachers take them to task. Eventually they get released and they report back to the, the little local church at that time. And this is what they say. Acts chapter 4 verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests these are the religious leaders. The elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Psalm 2. That's what he's referring back to. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed uh, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel. They put him to death. That was the intention. Get rid of the anointed. Jesus had told his disciples repeatedly, one example, Mark chapter 9, verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. The hands of men seeking to stand against God, against his anointed, 
and given half a chance, which we see demonstrated and manifested at Calvary, the creature seeks to murder the creator. That's what the nations have in common. Let's do away with the creator. In the words of the tenants, in the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 21 verse 38, this is the heir. Let us kill him and have his inheritance. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, where does that leave us? Does the creature, very important question, does the creature, do we people dictate the terms to the creator? Are God's hands tied? Is God at the mercy of the kings and the rulers of this world? And the answer is emphatically no. No. And we'll see this. We move on to the next scene. Not the world as we see it superficially. The world as God sees it. Now we move to heaven. Now we get heaven's perspective. My second point. The scene moving from earth to heaven. A glimpse of what's happening in heaven. While the mob rages outside of the city gate, to use an analogy, is the Lord cowering? Is he preparing to dash away in a state of panic or resort to some kind of plan B or C? No. Have a look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And folk, the Lord laughs not because sin is funny. It's because the situation is ludicrous. It's laughable. Laughing at the stupidity in our context. Imagine a little toddler wanting to take on dad. And even that is an inadequate illustration. Men are such fools. How can puny man hope to win against Almighty God. I love this illustration. You've heard it. Man is like the French revolutionary who climbed to the top of the cathedral of Notre Dame where he ripped the cross from the spire and dashed it into fragments on the pavement. He said to the peasant, we are going to pull down all that reminds you of God. The calm reply from the peasant then pull down the stars. What encouraged you this morning? Mankind, men and women, for all the ability, God-given ability, technology and talents, and, and there's a lot of talk these days about artificial intelligence and trans-human beings being created. Mankind, for all the science and skill and inventions, let us not forget, is still man. Still man. Mortal man. And, and, and God is God. And there's a big difference. There's an infinite difference between man and God. God is eternal. God is uncreated. God is self-existent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient, everywhere present. He's infinite, he's infallible, he's holy, he's transcendent, he's lifted up. Worshipped by countless angels. I love Isaiah chapter 40. It just depicts the picture of what's going on. Verse 22. It is he 
who sits above the circle of the earth, that is God, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, who brings superpowers to nothing, and he makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. God laughs at men for being such fools. And as we move on in the fifth verse, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. God looks and listens at the conference of kings and rulers. And I like to think of them meeting in their peanut galleries. He takes note of their unanimous resolution to banish God, to banish his principles, to banish his people from the face of the earth. How does God respond? Well, Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 very clearly. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God will judge. God does judge. God holds all of humanity to account. But in, but in heaven, it's business as usual. There's no compromise. There's no plan B. There's no movement away from God's purposes. He has installed his king on Zion. Verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The neglected voice of God always has the final say. Personally, you need to be thinking in your own context when you feel marginalized, mocked or persecuted for the sake of Jesus, when you hear blasphemy and skepticism and criticism, when marriage is devalued and the design of sexual, sexual identity denied, God's ways are never done away with. And so we reach a third part of the psalm. The world's future as God has determined the scene in heaven continues, but the speaker changes from the Father, from Yahweh, to the Son. The Son repeats what the Father has announced, and he elaborates. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The Lord Jesus is the unique Son of God. And we are told here, affirmed, the Father has given to the Son the nations of the world. He will rule over everyone forever and ever. All people of all ages, of all nations, of all times, will voluntarily or involuntarily bow their knee before Christ. We have that in Philippians chapter 2. God has, exalt, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Also in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15, 
The seventh angel blew his trumpet. There's the timing, the unfolding, redemptive purpose of God. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Son is appointed to reign over all. Having dealt with sin, smashing human rebellion for always. The appointed king who will bring about utter destruction of rebellion. The manifestation of his victory when all things will be made new. And so we get to the fourth scene. My fourth point. God's gracious warning. So the narrator, we're back to the narrator David. Led by the Spirit brings this drama to an end. He's heard from the different stakeholders, we would call it today, and he makes an appeal. He walks, as it were, to the front of the stage, and he issues a warning. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. And folk, our own president needs to hear this. The kings and, and authorities in the world need to hear this. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Maybe repeating a statement, but I want to be clearly understood from what I understand, not only this passage, but all of the Bible shows us. Jesus Christ is the most powerful figure in the entire universe. He sustains the world, keeps it going by the power of his word. It's good news, but folk, it can be bad news as well. Destruction and judgment we are told about, we're warned about, will come from him to all who persist in their rebellion. It's bad news for those who take a stand against him. But at the same time, the good news as we gather, as we respond to him, as we submit to him, as we receive the gospel, as we seek to worship him, safety, hope. Security, assurance, prospect for all those who take refuge in him. The way of escape from the wrath to come through the person and work of Jesus. And so my conclusion. Living in a world seemingly gone mad. Well, God tells us, let's receive this word. What's actually going on in this world? Well, the grasshoppers are making a lot of fuss. They're making a lot of noise. They're pretending to be so important on their self-constructed thrones and high places. The world is in rebellion against their creator. Let's kill him so that we can get his inheritance. But God. God is powerfully and deliberately, resolutely working out his decree unfolding his redemptive purpose through his son in all of history God has not lost the plot do not let the perceived threats of world powers or world religions or the big brains in the world rattle your cage 
can't let rigged elections and widespread corruption and ungodly trends and rebellious peer pressure push you into a state of panic. God reigns. God rules. Providentially orchestrating. Uh, bringing that which people intend for evil good. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so, folk, what do we do? We get on with living our lives, following the Lord, our hearts inclined in worship to him, trusting him, finding our refuge and safety, our prospect, our future in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that the superpowers don't trouble you. And so, Lord, we do pray and just give us, Lord, the work of your spirit in his ongoing encouragement, prompting, writing your word on our hearts, enabling us, Lord, more and more to trust you. We so easily, Lord, I confess myself, get so distracted and so often getting anxious and panic and so unnecessary. Instead, Lord, I pray that the truth of who you are, what you've done, and what you've decreed would give us the kind of assurance and confidence as we go forward, as we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, that he would be exalted and glorified even among us yet today. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.